0: pray for the word this morning pray that we will receive from you and that we would really be able to enter your rest be able to acknowledge who you are and who we are in you we pray for new revelations we pray that you come and speak to our hearts lord open our ears open our eyes open our understanding thank you that it is your desire to make yourself known to us lord thank you for your presence
1: Amen. um yeah, so I just felt this this morning um the message where Jesus was sharing the word um on the, the um, on the side of the hill, and there were thousands of people, and no one brought any food, and it was getting late and Jesus asked, uh, go around, go and get see if there's any food and there was only a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes and the miracle where Jesus just broke the, the, um, broke the bread and, bro- and shared the fishes and how he fed thousands of people. And then specifically afterwards, he gave his disciples the instruction, now go and collect everything so that nothing is wasted. And this morning while praying, I just felt like as we go through life, there's little breadcrumbs, um, which represents the, the Word of God. Uh, these little things, these little moments in life that's bringing us closer and closer and closer to, to Jesus. Because if we had to take the whole, a bite out of the whole loaf that is Jesus, we would die because it's just too much. We, we can't even comprehend. And um, the, what the Lord's just putting on my heart is don't, let in, don't leave any crumbs on the floor. Just like he, he instructs his disciples to gather everything so that nothing goes to waste. Don't let any crumbs that lies on the floor stay there. Pick it up, eat it, because Jesus has put that um, on your road in order to give you sustenance and to give you strength for the day.
0: Hallelujah. Thanks for your obedience, because that is what I'm going to be preaching about. <laughs> Um, We actually also shared that story on outreach with the ladies on Friday night, so it's um, been on my heart for a while, and it really speaks about fullness and abundance and satisfaction. Jesus is enough, right? So I titled this morning's service, Living at Rest, and the short is that we can only find rest in Jesus Christ and that we can enjoy every moment of life. So, I'm going to start by telling a little Bible story, but I want you to imagine it, so use your picture brains. The story plays off just after the death of Jesus. Jesus died a horrible, horrible death on the cross, and uh, I like to imagine when I think of it, what was the atmosphere like in Israel? There was an earthquake, three hours of darkness, and the veil of the temple tore. People must have wondered if he was indeed the Messiah. What were the news headlines or the gossip stories in those few days after his death? Did they say things like, I told you so, or I knew he was actually the Messiah, or were they just quiet? I would assume the disciples were rather quiet, devastated, sad, confused. Then he rose again. They found the grave empty after three days. And that's not something we hear about or read in the news every day, but can you imagine what the rumors were? especially for those who were still in denial. Jesus now appeared to his people after his death. I don't know if it's freaky or scary, or maybe they were just overjoyed to see their Lord again. They walked with him for three years and spent so much time with him. They really loved him, thought they'd lost him, and now he's back. Imagine all that emotions and thoughts and all the ideas they had going through their minds at that stage. So the story I want to tell follows on that setting. Peter says to his buddies he wants to go fish. They were fishermen before they left everything and started following Jesus. So I've heard many interpretations of this idea of them going to fish. It might have been because they were fishermen and they needed an income. Or I've heard it preached that they went back to their old ways and that they'd lost hope. Peter at the night, Jesus, and he was probably not sure about his future with the Lord at the stage. But I like to think that at least for now, they went fishing for fun. They enjoyed fishing. So I like to picture this group of men, even boys, they were young, but even if they were older, we all know that every man has a little boy inside of him. So they were really good friends and they enjoyed each other. And here they're going out on a boat to go fish. They went through the night and caught nothing now again. They're fishermen. They know the sea, they know the fish, they know the tricks of the trade. They were probably not very impressed with the fact that they haven't caught anything, but somehow they still enjoyed it. Have you ever seen on the beach how those fishermen can stand for hours and hours or sit with that rod and just wait? Sometimes they catch one fish after many hours and sometimes they catch nothing, but they go again and again and again. They love it. They do it for fun. So these boys are out on the boat, testosterone flowing, it's early morning hours, they haven't caught anything. And someone from the shore starts giving them advice on how to do this better. Again, something you see often when the boys are out having fun, they advise each other, and encourage each other, and somehow the person giving the advice seems to always know best. I think it might be part of the fun when the guys are out playing to think up ridiculous ideas and try it out as if it would actually work. He wants them to throw their nets out on the other side. I don't know how it's at all possible that there'll be fish on the other side of the boat if there's no fish on this side of the boat. And I'm sure these professional fishermen thought, "Mm, Okay, but they did it anyway, and the fish streamed into the net. Too much for them to even take to shore with their little boat. Then John says to Peter, Hey, Peter, it's the Lord. And now an interesting thing happens. Maybe just switch off your picture brain for this. Peter puts his clothes on, jumps off the boat, and runs or swims to Jesus through the water. He had less clothes on, on the boat while they were fishing, than what he could swim to Jesus in. (laughs) I've heard that men find some kind of joy in walking around in their underwear. Um, I don't get it, but apparently Peter did. So, when he gets to the shore, there's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, already made the fire, and he's already got some fish on the briar, ready for that picnic briar. Sounds like they had a lot of fun. So, here's another interesting fact about this story that I think is just a boys will be boys fact. Scripture tells us there were 153 large fish, they counted the fish. That must have been a mission on its own, to count 153 fish. And this, while their Jesus, who had died and rose again, just appeared to them and organized a little breakfast bri on the beach, their choice activity is to count the fish. Boys will be boys. (laughs) So I'm not telling this story to break down men. To the contrary, uh, they know how to have fun and to enjoy life. We need to enjoy the Lord more. He said he came to give us life life in abundance. What does it mean? The enemy has come to steal from us as believers. Too often when we get asked how we are, how we're doing, we're using words like burnt out, worried, stressed, too busy. We're getting sick from worrying and just accepting it as normal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and life in abundance. Fullness of life is available to us when we are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? The good old famous Psalm 23, he makes us lay down in green pastures, he leads us beside still waters, he restores our souls. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Green pastures, still waters, our Jesus leading us, this is our Jesus, our shepherd. He cares for us and guides us, protects us, leads us. He loves us. My cup overflows. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus talking. I will give you rest. Come to me. Jesus himself inviting us to him, When we're tired, and he says he will give us rest. Looking at the context of this verse, it's an evangelistic scripture inviting unbelievers to give up their lives, their religious activities, their striving to be accepted, and to believe in Jesus. To let go of our own work, that performance, and trying to be accepted. Jesus himself inviting us into him to surrender and take his yoke upon ourselves. He then promises us rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest. My question would then be, if we as followers of Jesus in Christ, are we experiencing this rest? Are we missing something? How can we enter this rest on a daily basis in everything that we do? There shouldn't be terminology like burnout, stress, too much for me if we've received this promise of Jesus. If we're in Christ, we should be experiencing this rest. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes, please, I'll take that. (laughs) About three weeks ago, Jock preached about Shalom Peace and what that is. Please go listen to that again if um, you have heard it. If you haven't, just go listen to it. It's a continuation. This is a continuation of that. And also of Heinrich's sermon on the ancient parts, And then the last two weeks on the new covenant. Living in the spirit and not in the flesh anymore. In complete freedom. Fullness. Completion. That Shalom, Jock said, is not the absence of war. Or in this case, the absence of anxiety. The absence of stress. The absence of work. Shalom talks about wholeness. Fullness completeness contentment it's an overflow that abundant life Jesus promised there's no lack in Christ we've been given everything we need for life and godliness the Lord is my shepherd I shall not lack anything my cup overflows I want us to reconsider these promises of God today and figure out why we so often end up feeling restless I need a holiday I need sleep I need a break Sleep and holiday and a break is of the Lord. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. It's a blessing from God. I praise God for that all the time. (laughs) Really love sleep. Jesus himself demonstrated this to us. He had that fish fry on the beach or he slept often and he withdrew to solitary places. The problem is not those things. The problem is we're not supposed to reach a point of lack. We sing, all we need is Jesus. But then we say, all I need is a holiday or a good night's sleep or a different job. Even these very good godly things cannot fulfill us. Our fulfillment is in Christ. I think we're supposed to enjoy life way more. Not just when we go on holiday or when the weekend finally comes. We're supposed to live for the moment in Christ Jesus all the time. So then I'm not going on holiday to fill my empty tank so I can empty it out again. I'm going on holiday with a full tank because I'm constantly in Christ Jesus and he fulfills me. I go, while still being in Christ, simply to enjoy him, to enjoy life fully and to return to continue enjoying life fully. That's what it means to overflow, to have abundant life, to not lack anything. The strange thing is, while we're running on empty because of stress or anxiety at work, Our sleep and our rest and our holidays also becomes restless. This is how much the enemy has come to steal from us in this area of our lives. Today we're going to contend to take back what is ours. Rest, peace, joy, contentment, fullness. Jesus promised us these things in the new covenant. We're going to go to Matthew 6. I'm going to start from the back and then work our way back. So verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I've always thought this is like a little joke in the Bible. Tomorrow will worry about itself, as if tomorrow has the ability to worry. Anyway, the point is, (laughs) Jesus is speaking. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Society teaches us to worry about our futures, set long term goals, and focus on your futures, and some of these things are good. But Scripture teaches us to not worry about our futures, for each day has enough troubles of its own. If you're trying to deal with today's trouble and worry about tomorrow, it will be too heavy. You're not supposed to carry the troubles of two days. In one day. Some of us are trying to carry the week or months or years of trouble in one day. Then we wonder why we're tired or burnt out or just can't enjoy life anymore. Live for the moment, enjoy it to the full. Trust God to carry you through all the troubles. Why is it so difficult? Somehow we think this just doesn't apply to me. My responsibilities at work and life are way different to the people who lived in the time of Jesus. Maybe he just doesn't understand what I'm going through. If I don't sort these things out, no one would. Let's go back a bit in the same chapter, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so start by making sure you're still serving God in your everyday life. And that money has not become your master. Is God number one in your life? Are there things that maybe become more important to you than serving God? He has called us to give up our lives. This is part of what we've chosen. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do I really trust him that much? He is my Lord and my master, my ruler. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? It seems like such a strange statement Jesus is making, as if he doesn't know we need food and clothes. Can I truly trust the Lord that much? It's no longer how you live. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Our Heavenly Father cares about us and He knows our needs. He is our Creator who knows everything. This includes the extremely difficult situation at your work and all the responsibilities that you have that are so overwhelming. The word provide in the Bible can also be translated as He sees. He sees you and your situation. He knows and his greatest desire is for us to know him and trust him for life. Verse twenty seven, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? We all know that medically worrying or stress for that matter shortens our lives and it steals our joy. It kills. That's the enemy's job to steal, kill and destroy. He then continues by pointing out how he clothed the fields better than Solomon in all his splendor. Solomon was a rich man, and God says he can do better than that, better than earthly wealth. Then verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what is going on at your work, and your relational life, and at home, and in your families. He's not ignoring all of that, but he also knows what all this worrying is doing to his children. So he's saying, stop it. I will take care of you. I will give you rest. Trust me. We can trust the Lord, creator of all things, to take care of us in each day. He has this crazy desire to draw us to him. For us then to be in him and him in us. And that's where we find all we need. Then verse 33 is the famous one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. He wants us to seek his kingdom. To seek him. Make him number one in your life again. The first priority in everything we do. It's to seek his kingdom. To seek his face. This is part of what we gave up when we chose to follow him. We will no longer run after the world and what it offers, but we will seek the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God in our lives. In this same chapter earlier on, he teaches us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that often. We are living the kingdom on earth. We cannot look and think like the world and still bring the kingdom of God on earth today. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is here now, today, in us and through us, following Jesus and seeking him first. The prayer then continues, give us this day our daily bread. This day, living in the moment and enjoying life to the full. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. God knows that each day is full of troubles, and that you and I cannot, we physically don't have the ability, to carry more than one day's trouble at a time. When we worry about tomorrow, and unfortunately many of us are not just worried about tomorrow, we're worried about next week and next month and the end of the year and five years' time and when I get old and my children and their children, and so it just continues. It's too heavy for us to carry more than one day's troubles at a time. He's not saying we don't have to think about our futures or dream about our futures. He's telling us not to worry about it, not to stress about it, to trust him for tomorrow and to live in today. Give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, light on my path he only shows us the next step and then the next one and then the next one this takes a lot of trust Isaiah 26 verse 3 you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you he will keep us in that perfect peace we need to trust in him and make sure our minds are steadfast focusing focusing on his promises and his kingdom Psalms 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Psalms 36.5-9, this is the life that he promises us. Can you praise him like this in your everyday, over your work and over your relationships? Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountain, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's us living our everyday in the shadow of his wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of the light. For with you is a fountain of life. In your light, we see light. (laughs) We find the fulfillment of this in John 4. And Jesus is speaking to the women at the well. And he says, when you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. We have received this water. We are enjoying the fullness of Christ here on earth. We have full access to all these promises and so much more. His kingdom is here now. Jeremiah seventeen seven to 8 But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water who sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. That reminds us of John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's Jesus talking. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For as long as we are in Christ, we will experience this fullness, enjoying his presence in our everyday walk, and relying on and trusting him fully. He's enough. He's all we need. In him, there's contentment, fullness of joy, complete fulfillment and nourishment, that perfect satisfaction. God demonstrated this to us from the very beginning, and the Bible is full of these kinds of promises, as well as the fulfillment of these promises in the new covenant. I want us to have a quick look at the very beginning, where it all started, the original design of the kingdom. Genesis 1 creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to just quickly summarize the story. We all know it. Let there be light. He saw the light, and it was good. It was evening, and it was morning, the first day. The second day, he created the sky by separating the water from the water. He created the land and the sea, and then there's this incredible moment of the water moving... Off the land as God speaks it into being. And God saw it was good. It was evening and it was morning, the second day. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit and with seed in it, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening and it was morning, the third day. And then God created the moon and the sun and the stars, and with that he created time and days, months and years. And God saw that it was good. It was evening and it was morning, the fourth day. Okay, I see you're getting the point. He then created the sea animals and the birds in the sky. Um, Looked back and said, it is good. And the land animals, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals. And he said, it is good. Then he created mankind, male and female, in his image. He blessed them. And then finally, in verse 31, he saw that all he had made, and he said, it's very good. He loved creation. After everything he made, he stood back, looked at it, and said, it is good. I love the emphasis he made on each day, evening and morning, the first day, and then the second day. And so it's as if God himself, who is outside of time, came to teach us right from the beginning to live in the moment. Living today and be satisfied in it. It is good. He was satisfied with what He had made. He's content. He created us in His image. And then we can experience that same contentment and that same satisfaction. Can you, after every task you complete, after every day you finish, stand back, look at it, and say, It is good? I'm happy. I'm fulfilled you look at your calendar and your journal and your checklist, and even if you're not done with it, you have a look and you say, it is good, I like what I'm doing, I enjoy life. Instead, we seem to the, get to the end of the day and think of everything that still needed to get done and everything we didn't get to. There's always going to be more things to do. The list is long. There's always 100 emails waiting in the inbox and all those unread WhatsApps mark this, that you just tick as unread. KPAs, client meetings, birthday parties, shopping, cooking, washing, exercising, moving house. It never ends. All these things can become burdens or complaints. But aren't they all things that at some stage in our lives we chose? Things we've prayed for and trusted the Lord for? Things we actually enjoy and wouldn't want any other way. While preparing for today, I came to the conclusion that the bigger problem is not our busy schedules or full calendars, even though that might be part of the problem. Our real problem is our perspective on these things. Praise God I get to stop at the shop on the way home. Praise God I have a healthy family to feed. Praise God for the job I chose and enjoy and that I've prayed for for so long. Praise God for phones and emails and WhatsApps and so many friends in my life, people who care and who need care, Praise God for another opportunity to give, to serve, to be served, to share, to receive, to get wisdom and growth. Praise God that I'm his and he's mine. And that we as his people are chosen and appointed by him to bring his kingdom on earth in our daily lives. Our perspective on our daily lives need to be focused on praise and thanksgiving. Living in each moment and enjoying it. Looking at every activity and saying, it is good then after six days of creation comes this very interesting twist the whole of creation is done Adam and Eve are created perfectly in a perfect garden they're given this perfect task to fulfill there's no sin, no death no worries, no stress nothing to concern them there's just joy and fullness of life excitement and peace then comes the seventh day God rested Why on earth did he rest? Was he tired? It's Adam and Eve's first day on earth, and they get to rest. God demonstrated to us what it means to rest. He instituted the Sabbath day in this way. It's not a day we need because we're exhausted from all the activity. It's a day we get to stop and look back at what we've done and who we are in him and who he is in us and find that complete satisfaction in everything that we do. It's good. I'm fulfilled. To take a Sabbath rest is not something we do as another activity on our calendars. This rest is a state of being. A state of being filled in Christ and being satisfied with the work we do. It's relational. It's knowing who God is and enjoying Him. Believing in Him and trusting Him. In Exodus, when God gives his people the Ten Commandments, he reemphasizes the Sabbath by reminding us where it came about. Before he gives them any commandment, he states, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We are no longer slaves. He has set us free. We are in him now. Slaves don't get a day of rest. They work endlessly and get exhausted and burnt out from working too hard. They never get appreciated. They never get a reward for, what the, for their labor. We're not slaves to this world or to our jobs or to anyone else for that matter. He has paid for our freedom. We are set free. He is our master and we get to rest. Exodus 28 to 11, this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in it, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments, which is enough reason to take a Sabbath. It's already beautiful as it is, but it gets better because this is Old Testament law. The law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Jesus, the Pharisees continuously attacked him for doing things that seemed unlawful to them on the Sabbath day. He yielded on the Sabbath, him and his disciples reaped grain on the Sabbath, and on various occasions he got in trouble for doing things that, according to religious leaders, was wrong. He got nailed over and over again for restorative work he did on the Sabbath day. However, we know Jesus never sinned. So in fulfilling the law, by becoming a man, he continued to demonstrate to us that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. His work on earth established a rest for us to enter. Sabbath is God himself doing a restorative work on earth, reconciling us, Back to the Father and ensuring an eternal rest in Him. He died on the cross for us. That final Lamb came to set us free from the curse of sin and death. He came to earth to establish His kingdom here, now. On the cross, Jesus was restless. He was crying. He had no peace, writhing, bleeding, calling out. Why was He so restless? He took our restlessness upon Himself. Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities." The punishment that brought us peace was brought upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah 53. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That's us. That fullness, satisfaction. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus experienced our infinite restlessness on the cross. When he died, he was able to say, it is finished. What is finished? Everything necessary for salvation for the whole world everything necessary for us to know that when we receive him as Lord and Savior, we no longer rest on our works but on his. We have entered his rest. We're no longer slaves. We've been bought by the blood of the lamb and we now belong to him. He is ours and we are his. And he looks at us and says we are accepted because of what he's done, not because of what we've done. We have been made right, good enough by his grace. He looks at us through the finished work of the cross and he says, it is good. This is my child, my beloved child, in whom I'm well pleased. I gave my life for her to live. I died so that he can have abundant life. There's nothing more to, for, to do for us to prove ourselves. Everything we got to do to prove ourselves worthy is done. It is finished. That is what the gospel is. The key to having abundant life in Christ is living by God's grace through faith because grace is His power working in us, enabling us to do whatever we need to do in life. When we try to do everything in our own strength and leave God out of the equation, we get worn out and tired and worried and stressed and anxious. But when we lean on God, we actually enter into His rest and we can enjoy our lives no matter what our circumstances may be. The rest God is talking about is not rest from our daily work or when we're physically exhausted, when we've worked hard. It's not the absence of trouble or hardship or work altogether. It's that profound peace that God gives to those who love and obey Him, regardless of circumstances. Profound peace that God gives to those who love and obey Him, Regardless of circumstances. Romans five verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. The peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and your mind. This promise is for us as believers who have trusted, who have placed all our trust in Jesus, not in ourselves anymore. We have received the good news, the gospel truth, the rest of God. We can choose if we want to enter that rest. It's possible to miss it by being disobedient. In Hebrews 4, it explains this. Hebrews often talks about how the law is fulfilled. And I'm going to end with this portion of scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 1 to 11. It basically summarizes what I've been saying. So I'm going to read it, but I want you to meditate on it a bit. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed, enter that rest, just as God had said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his words have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he had spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and for those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again said, set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given him rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following an example of disobedience. Let us make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Mm-hmm. Through the gospel, we get to rest from our work, just as God rested from ease. God's rest is found in the fact that his work is complete, it's good, it's finished. Can I say the same about my work? I'm accepted by Jesus. I no longer need to prove myself to anyone. It's good. I'm good enough. That inner chase to work at proving myself or to become something is done when we become believers. And therefore, when we truly want a life of rest, we simply need to understand who we are in Christ and enjoy Him fully. We accept what He says about us and what He completed on the cross, and then we take that into our everyday lives. If we're supposed to enter rest the way God entered rest, then we need to find that place of fulfillment in our everyday lives. God rested on the seventh day, and we are invited to rest like he did. So we do it to honor that image of God in us, to remind us that there's more to us than what we do. We can't enter rest if there's no point of satisfaction. If we can never say what God said when he rested, it is good, it's finished the Hebrews writer here is saying that through Jesus and only through Jesus can we get rest. Jesus is that point of complete fulfillment and satisfaction. Can we trust him again and make him our master once again and find rest in the fact that we're no longer slaves bought by the blood of Jesus for complete freedom. Living at rest with him. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. We surrender everything once again, and we make him Lord of our lives once again. He will give us rest that fulfillment, contentment, wholeness. Can we choose to enjoy life in Christ? Can we choose to have that abundant life? i'm gonna we're gonna do another song. I think Jeannie can do it without me. And then um, I want us to just declare this truth and to really enter this rest. I think um, we too often think that we must add rest onto our calendar. But this Sabbath rest is today, year, now, all the time. Now I don't think this is something that we can just get now and then walk out. It's something we have to teach our minds again because we too easily go to that space of stress and anxiety. And then in this final chapter in Hebrews, it says um, we can miss it by disobedience. So let's be obedient to Christ. We have answered that call. We've chosen to follow him. We're no longer living for ourselves. if you do want someone to pray with you then you're welcome to come to the front otherwise just sit and think about these things and maybe write some things down speak to the Lord about your life